Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow and wherever you are in the world, it's great to have you with us and listening to our little pod. Today, as in every episode, I'm joined by two fabulous writers who'll be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on. My first guest is the author of five novels, including the Sunday Times bestseller, The Lost Art of Keeping Secrets. She's toured with bands since her early 20s and has a geek-like fascination with pop music just like me. She's also written the music and lyrics for Harriet, a musical based on an early Jilly Cooper novel, which is due to open this year, and I think possibly even is working on another, another musical, we'll find out. And she's here to tell us about her latest novel, This Could Be Everything. Eva Rice, welcome to you. Hello, thank you very much for having me on. It's lovely to see you and an absolute pleasure to have you here. And my second guest is an award-winning journalist who regularly contributes to The Guardian, Red, Grazia, HuffPost, The Times and many, many more. She's the author of the best-selling non-fiction titles Chase the Rainbow, In Search of Silence and Stronger, but is here to tell us about her debut novel, In Case of Emergency. Porno Bell, welcome to you. Hi, thank you for having me too. And here are the introductions, official introductions, Porna, Eva, Eva, Porna. I hope you are, have you met? I can't remember if you've met before or not. We haven't met. We've never met. Okay, so the official introduction is important there. Um, (laughs) Lovely to see you both. Are you well on this fine Thursday afternoon? Very well, yeah. I'm pretty much um, struggling through the beginning of the year, but yeah, no, it's 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 good. It's um, it's nice to feel spring in the air. <laughs> it's the end of February recording this, so it's sort of like, it's a really. I just hate February. I'm so, I'm sorry to anyone born in February or anyone who loves February. I just hate February. Yeah, I've yeah. got. I've actually weirdly just because you said that, um, my my narrator in this book is called February. Yes, um, I know. <laughs> my my birthday's in February. My son's birthday's in February, and I'm always. It's really hard to get... So I've just offended everyone, basically, in your family. No, no, no. You're completely right. Anyone who has a summer birthday is um, a source of huge envy to me. Always has been. (laughs) And how's your Feb going, Porna? It's going great. Would you like a shovel to dig yourself back out of that hole? Yeah, thank you, if you You wouldn't mind. um... Yeah, thanks so much. Um... I was waiting for you to tell me that you were born in February now. (laughs) Well, I'm born in February, as are all of my family members. Um, No, I'm, I'm about five days of handing in a manuscript for my second fiction so my my mental health's in a special place today yeah <laughs> um, yes. and i'm just really looking forward to sleeping for about a week so yeah oh, that sounds good oh well i mm. hope that we can you know uh, we're a nice sort of welcome break from very the, much uh, so. from the as we all know what it is like in the last week of leading up to a deadline and that's very exciting about your your next fiction um mm. so over the next half an hour or so we're going to talk about your latest novels we're going to talk about your writing and we're going to get some book recommendations from you as well and of course we will do the book off where each of you gets three minutes uninterrupted if you choose uh to tell us about a book that you love and you think we should all 
read. Um, that will come shortly, but let's talk first, uh, Porna, about In Case of Emergency, because you've published non-fiction before. As I said, you've had three of those books, but this is your first novel. You're working on your second, uh, so you'll have to remember now. You'll have to get your mind back to this one because you probably had your head in the new one. How did you find the process of the of the novel versus writing non-fiction? I mean, my, my main career... Um is a journalist. I mean, not not so much in the last couple of years, because I definitely I would consider myself more to be an author than a journalist currently, but I still do journalism. And I think nonfiction is such a natural extension of journalism, because, you know, yes, you might be putting your own experience in there, but there's so much that needs to stand up in terms of structure, in terms of the research that you're doing, um, you know, studies that you have to weave in and so on. So actually, it's not that far out of your your sort of comfort zone. Um, moving to fiction, which was, to be perfectly frank, something I never thought I would really do, because during my 20s, I wrote just so many horrendous half-finished manuscripts. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and they were just awful, um, you know. And I, so I just kind of thought, oh, maybe it's just not for me. Maybe I just don't have, you know, the imagination, which is hilarious, given how much I daydream. But um, but I think, so that transition to fiction was was literally because... I had a story that I felt I wanted to tell through a particular type of character and it was against the backdrop of having oodles of time to think about things because it was in the first year yeah. of the pandemic, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it, but, but I think to, to overcome that, that feeling that you're making stuff up as a journalist, it feels mm -hmm. so counterintuitive, but to be, it, it's a very joyous type of writing and actually, you know, because I've discovered that people have these really big misconceptions about what being a, a, an author is like, a fiction author, and they think that you take yourself off to a shack somewhere and the muse strikes you. And it's, it's, there's no muse. Like, you literally have to set yourself deadlines, otherwise it won't be finished. There's no sexy answer to it, right? So, yes. So it's been cathartic, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> That's the short answer? It's yeah. been cathartic. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a few um, unseen manuscripts shoved in a drawer somewhere, Eva, from pre-publishing days? Everyone does, don't they? I mean, without a doubt. Although, weirdly, my I got published really young in my 20s, and I mm. sort of sometimes think I wish that my first couple of books had remained in, unpublished in a drawer somewhere. There's definitely a lot to be said for that, I think. Mm. Because yeah. you, you kind of, you're getting out so much in the first yeah. book in your 20s that it's you know most people look back on it and go oh my gosh I'm so glad you know I moved on from that so yeah it's a little bit scary that mine actually is out there in the world um but yeah sometimes I, I, I haven't picked it up for so long sometimes I pick it up and kind of slightly shiver and put it back down again I'll put it back down again yeah <laughs> I know a lot of people who do that <laughs> or some people who won't ever even open it again um, yes it's yes, funny that I think that's a shared I, I do think that's very shared amongst authors as well like you know that, and 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 I think every writer is sort of striving to be better. I think the next book they always want to be better than the first, and then better than the second, and carry on. You know, and I love hearing from authors sometimes who, um, for want of a better phrase, are long in the tooth, who say actually, you know, I think this, i.e., new book that they're talking about now, is my best book, and I kind of love that because I think, oh, that's great. You know that you you you've setting yourself challenges, and you've learnt from all the other ones, and you think that's the one for you. You know. But also, if you're writing fiction, that could very likely be true because you've just had more life experience and you've got more to put into it. Um, whereas with things like music, you kind of feel as though perhaps, you know, that amazing energy you get in a band's first album is <laughs> maybe not possible to recreate when you're in your 60s or 70s yes. or whatever. Yes. I mean, in some cases it is, but yeah, hard. Well, yeah, and, uh, and we could we could go down a whole line of uh, talking about music and, and, and age, like the different ages of bands and artists. But I do think... To that point, yeah, maybe you just you make music that's a bit more reflective when you get a bit older, and like you say, there's this new, new sort of energy and angst when when they're a band or whatever an artist is younger. So yeah, it's interesting. It's yeah, interesting. that's definitely true. <laughs> and there's a lot of love for the '90s in your book, Eve, isn't there? I'm very, I'm very thrilled that there's a lot of love for the '90s, and there's a lot of, uh, and I, as I said in the intro, thrilled to meet a fellow music geek, really. Yes, I mean it's very it's set in 1990s, so it's really early 90s, um, which for me is almost more fun than going into the kind of classic 90s. You know, people who 
think about the 90s culturally kind of automatically go to well certainly in this country a kind of brit pop or mm. cool britannia tony blair and this is this is set before all of that um which is what i always kind of try to do with all my fiction is to is to set it at a time just before a kind of big sea change happens so it's kind of coming out of the 80s going into the 90s this book um yeah. you know set in the first kind of half of 1990 and um uh it, it makes it more interesting to me because it's it's just that sort of um because the character is coming of age and it kind of feels like the decade is about to come of age as well it's 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 really fun oh, to that's do. nice yeah i like that i like what you've done there just did that for the first time. Oh, obviously. So, yeah. and do you know what? Go on, keep that one. That's a good. Keep one. that one. I'll write it down. <laughs> In fact, the nineties is such. I'm sure. I'm sure anyone who has their decade. I think the nineties is my decade personally. But anyone who has their decade would say the same about theirs. But the nineties is so interesting in terms of plotting it. Like if you look through from 1990, where your novel set right through to 1999, and the and you know the millennium and everything. It's like, I do think it's such an interesting, and it changes so much. Yeah. culturally, musically, everything. Um, we'll, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about um, uh, the plot of the book and indeed your character February in a moment, Eva. Um, Porn, I want to talk about Belle, though, and I wondered if you could introduce us to Belle and set up their story for us. Yeah, so my, my novel is set in two time periods. So it's set in the late 90s and sort of present well, present day, I say 2019. Yeah. And I would have loved to have set <laughs> it a bit earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you picked up on that. I would have loved to have set it slightly earlier in the 90s. But then when I worked out the time differences, it, it just wouldn't have worked. And I did not want to write about the pandemic in my novel at all. Um, so, so very much she is someone who is kind of, um, you know, on, on sort of the other side of being in her late thirties and, and the premise, um, which isn't a spoiler cause it's literally on the jacket is that she has this kind of very unexpected near death experience where she falls into the open mouth of a beer cellar, which if you have been to London, it's honestly one of my biggest fears of just, Do you know what, it's right? Uh, every time I tread on those blooming things, thank I think, you, oh, Christ. I'm like, I'm going in because I, you know, I'm carrying a yeah. little bit of extra timber at the moment. I was thinking, I'm going to go d- through that bloody thing. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm like, is today the day when I walk across them? So, so she she does this. She, you know, she has this very. Um, she's very good at her job. She's got this very high flying career um, at a creative agency in London, and so she has this near death experience, and she wakes up. Um, to find her ex-boyfriend, um, you know, at the foot of her bed. And he's basically been listed as her last emergency contact. And it prompts this whole sort of reckoning for her around, you know, why was why is this person her emergency contact? Like, how have her interpersonal relationships not developed and why are they not strong enough that she can't even think of who that person would be? And who she is as a person, very much I found... Um, I find she doesn't have the answers to everything, you know, because that's kind of the point of the book. And I definitely think she looks back to the past when she did have a very strong friendship group, which is which is when it kind of flashes back to the 90s. And what I was really interested in that was the things that really define us when we are younger Mm. that inform who we are when we're adults and and I'm talking about like adults, like when you're in your still in your late thirties and your early forties. Right. And, and narratives and of things that you set in your head, because you believe that's the truth of how something unfolded and how you literally define yourself by these things, because you haven't really taken the time to understand what it might have been like for the other person in that whether that's an argument, whether that's, you know, things that definitely unfold in your family that you just may not be aware of. So I think if I was to describe her as a character, she doesn't take herself too seriously, but she um, doesn't really know what her path is in life. She just knows that she doesn't necessarily want to do things because that's what is expected of her. And I really wanted to kind of capture a certain type of person with her. Uh, yeah, and you really did, and that's such a lovely 
setup and description of her as well. And are you, you. Are you a, a fan of the, fan of the nineties? I mean, that's a very broad thing to say. But you, do you, is the nineties your decade, Paula? Do you think? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. forty two, so absolutely, it's my it's my decade. I always get slightly scared though when I'm around um, people uh, such as you and Eva because I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of like let's say music, and I just have these really haunting memories of in my teens, like just sort of someone interrogating you about you know the different tracks on a particular album and you'd go oh i don't i don't know all the lyrics oh no i'm an imposter so <laughs> oh no i don't we don't want this to bring back sort of terrible no memories. no <laughs> 90s ptsd yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's fine but um yeah. no so so i 90s is very much my decade but um one of the things i felt very strongly about particularly with this book is that it was a particular type of 90s for me. And so there are two reasons why I say that. Number one, I would my, my character, my protagonist is South Asian and she's a woman. And I felt it was really important for me to chart what that experience was like because it wasn't the same as it was for, for you know, some of my other friends. But more importantly is that I was, I was like a metaler. I was an alternative kid. And so whenever I see depictions of the 90s, I'm just like, sorry, people did dances in their living rooms in front of their families to the Spice Girls. I was like, what? What? So so th there is like a whole subset of like 90s music culture that was very much reflective of my own experience that I don't really see, particularly in like women's fiction. Mm. I don't necessarily always see that reflected. So it was kind of what important. What do you mean? No, they're not talking about like Fear Factory or Coal Chamber or... Damn it! Both great bands, but Both no. Both great bands, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Joe, that, uh, you're correct. The, that, isn't, that isn't represented in modern day women's fiction very hey, much. Hey, we can have a good old discussion about some of the metal and new metal from the 90s happily because I got, I got right into it towards the end of the 90s. It was all going on for absolutely sure alongside everything else. And that's what I find slightly annoying about how people categorise the 90s as being just this singularly Britpop thing. Um, because it just wasn't. And even going, you know, when I went back to 1990 to write the beginning of my book and my character is obsessed with the top 40 and by the, with the charts. And I put on, I found on YouTube that you could actually listen to the top 40 countdown of particular weeks in real time, as if it's sort of happening. Oh, amazing. Listening, which in lockdown, as you can imagine, was completely surreal. Also, and, is um, it sad that I would just genuinely love to just do that, not even for research? Oh, honestly, it's it's, it's absolutely <laughs> amazing. And the, the weirdest thing was just what was going on in the charts in 1990. It was a really strange mix of kind of um, massive songs that were huge because they were in an advert, like the Levi's ad songs, or songs that were huge because they were in massive films. And then bands that were kind of big in the 70s and were still kind of having the kind of embers of their careers. And then these other kind of bands that were going to kind of usher in Britpop, like the Charlatans and the Happy Mondays and stuff. It was just a huge melting pot of weirdness in yeah. that year. Just very strange. So it, so no one should put the 90s as being just about, you know, no, you're absolutely the classic right. bands from that time. It's the hangover year, because as you said, like the, the 80s is just finished. Yes. And it's just sort of starting. It's the hangover year for me. Exactly. Which yeah, is yeah, why yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about my favourite month then, uh, February. <laughs> Would you just um, set up her story here and tell us a bit about her? Um, February is, um, she's 19 when the book begins, and she has had um, a very, very traumatic couple of years where she's lost key members of her nuclear family really um and she's living with her aunt and uncle and she's kind of as the novel begins you you realize very quickly that she's a recluse basically she hasn't left the house really um since all these these things have happened to her and um one evening she comes downstairs to find a canary in her kitchen in the, the kitchen that she lives in with her aunt and uncle and um she is sort of freaks out and kind of reads into it several things that may or may not be the case. Um, but she ends up uh, keep well, they they end up um, having the canary in the house overnight. And what happens next is that she has to find out who it belongs to, and through that she ends up leaving the house again for the first time and um, becoming involved with. Um, some people who she would never have normally expected to become involved with and she edges out of the darkness onto the streets of 1990s West London. 
<laughs> where all the record labels were. Where all the record labels were, exactly, at the time. <laughs> when did that, I'm, I'm intrigued to know where the idea or the inspiration came for Yellow, because, I mean, was that like something that happened as you were writing it, or did you always know there was going to be this device? Well, it, well, it did happen, it happened to me in my actual life. Um, really? In my 20s, yeah. I, I, I went into the kitchen one evening, and I was on a first floor flat, and there was a canary sitting on the side of a bowl of salad that I'd just finished eating, <laughs> no eating the lettuce from the bowl. And um, and I rang my mum and I went, there's this yellow tropical bird in the kitchen. And she went, well, it's probably a canary, you know, kind of process of elimination. So I ended up keeping it and buying it a friend and um, kind of unwittingly becoming a breeder of canaries because they then ended up building a nest, having babies. <laughs> and so there I was in my flat in West London, with this cage taking up all the space because I felt so bad about having a caged bird. Um, and I ended up with like five canaries because they, they hatched eggs. So I always felt like it was a really good place to start a story from because I would it never have gone is. into a pet shop and bought a canary myself. No. No, so, no. Um, and I became so attached to them. I absolutely loved them. And they're, they're oh, just, wow. they're such an amazing um, pet <laughs> in inverted commas because, because they sing. And so, well, the male will sing for a mate until he has the mate. And then um, they, you know, the whole the whole process of them laying the eggs and having to look after the eggs. And it was just the whole thing was um, really took over my life for a, for a month or two. Well, for longer than that, I had them for a couple of years. But, yeah, when they were actually hatching these babies. Oh, so, um, yeah, I always thought, gosh, it would be really fun to start a book, a novel with this this precise moment when you walk into a kitchen and see this bird in there. And what does it mean? And how, where do you go from there? Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, flashbacks to my poor mum in the nineties when um, we decided to have a gerbil, or and then get another one, and the pet shop owner assured us it was of the same sex, and then oh, we they just always had <laughs> millions of babies. Yeah, yeah, scrabbling around in these. Cages. Oh, I know. It's it's weird. I I had the same with guinea pigs as well. Oh yeah, and we I had still... guinea pigs as well, but we get, had brothers luckily. But do you ever have? I have a really weird recurring dream, which is sort of a nightmare, about um, baby pets and not not caring for them correctly. And in the dream, I, I suddenly remember that I've got loads of baby guinea pigs that I haven't looked after. And I come back in. Oh, it's, it's actually, I can't believe I'm revealing this, but it's really, <laughs> really haunting. Oh, no. Oh, God, that <laughs> sounds awful. Whether that happens to anyone who's, who's sort of unwittingly bred pets in their youth. Well, I my mum looked after my pets basically because well, maybe I was so useless. So maybe she did. Do you have any yeah. night, do you have any nineties pets, Bonna? Do you have any <laughs> um, dreams about them? <laughs> no, I I did the classic nineties thing of having a stick insect in a bottle, and now the idea of it just makes me want to throw up. Like, and when I see them, I just uh, shudder. Honestly, we do all you? have them. Yeah, really? they're just they're so disgusting. Oh, Porno, I've got a great story for you. No, Joe. I've got a great story for you. Do you want to hear it or not? Is it going to make me lose sleep? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Okay. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. All I'll say, I'll just, I was just going to say that we went on holiday once to France and my granddad was in charge of the house and he accidentally knocked the top off the stick insect thing oh tank and when we came back from holiday they were just all up the curtains <laughs> and we arrived back and oh. my mum and dad had to pick off the stick it safe from the curtains oh, anyway there no. you go there's oh, a little god little image for you thanks <laughs> thank that you. is i can completely imagine that happening have yes. a precious precious okay. story thank oh you. Yeah. yeah there you go um <laughs> Before we move on to to talk about um, other books other than yours and recommendations that you might have, and we'll do the book off, of course, as well. Um, you said, Porna, that you sort of want to explore the, you know, the pressures of of, of women placed in, in, in on today, um, and you do go into some issues as well about you know what Bell was facing in the nineties, but you have done it, if I may say so, with a very sort of humorous and sort of lovely way like it, it is very funny in places and i i assumed that was your you wanted to do that from the start right yeah i mean it was it was very very important to me and um shout out to the girl who traumatized me as a teenager who basically said you know what i don't think you're very funny and i think that you think that you're funny so <laughs> <laughs> wow 
And I have dedicated every moment of my life since then to trying to be funny. So that is the biggest... Mission accomplished. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Because I feel like there is a way in which you can move between subjects that are serious and just the day-to-day, you know, humour that you kind of just need to get by. So if anyone thinks that it's funny, that is the biggest compliment that you can give me. But also because I feel it's just a really good, I, I, it's something I personally appreciate when I read books and when I watch TV shows. And I'm not saying that everything has to be like that, but that is my favourite stuff to consume. Um, so I would say that in terms of, let's say, when you look at the expectations, um, it was an interesting one in terms of, yes, it sits, you know, very much in, in, in terms of like modern women's fiction and commercial fiction and so on. But... I didn't want it to have to be a love story and I didn't want there to have to be, you know, um, a neat and tidy ending to it. Uh, sorry, I don't feel like that's a spoiler, but but I wanted it to be a, a capture of someone's life versus it having to be tied up neatly in a in a bow. So I don't know if that answers your question, Joe. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And yeah. I just I just think it, it's so important almost to have that humour in it because coming to the book you might expect one thing and then of course like you're you you're sort of thinking about the things that you've placed in the book without necessarily knowing that you are or or you're processing them a bit through the humor but and not knowing that you're being shown it i don't know that's yes oh no i i definitely trojan horsed a lot of stuff that i wanted (laughs) that i wanted to talk about um but in a way that would be digestible for for everyone basically because i just think you know um a big part of the intention of when i wrote the book was that i wanted you know whatever your background was i wanted you to be able to enjoy the book and maybe figure some stuff out, maybe Mm. read about stuff that you didn't know about. And I think especially, um, you know, for example, there are there are aspects of, let's say, if you're talking about identity that, that, you know, come through quite strongly in the book. And for, for someone, for example, like me, historically, you know, those stories with those protagonists, Um, have mostly been told through a very serious lens, like a very, very serious lens of like trauma and oppression. And I just didn't want to do that because that's not how I view my life and that's not how I view the life of, you know, people that I know. So so humour was an essential part of it. There was was no way it was not going to be, you know, a very important um, bit of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And... With you, either it's a very feel-good book as well. It's a coming-of-age story, as you've said. Uh, and I do think at the moment, and you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong, I-, I think people more so than ever are sort of reaching for feel-good stories at the moment, just like in, in their droves, would you say so? Yeah, I mean, I'm always reaching for feel-good in, <laughs> yeah. in everything. Um, I think also once you've had children, you kind of you you reach for feel-good even more. Right. Um, and I felt as though when I was writing this, I was sort of in my head writing it for um, people because, because I was writing in COVID. I was thinking, where's where's the best place to go now? What, you know, what what's the kind of most the thing that's going to make me feel good as well when I'm writing it? But then having said that, it starts from a very, very bleak place. Um, so, you know, but the end of the first chapter, you realize that the, the, this character has, has got to get herself out of a very, very dark place. Um I think it's a brilliant G.K. Chesterton quote. He seems to do a lot of the best quotes, which was um, <laughs> make make terrible things happen to your characters so that you can get them out of the terrible thing. And I, so I kind of felt like that was that was always going to be her path that you could, you know, finding the light from this from this terrible, dark place that she's in. But also exactly like you said, Porner, I think bringing humour and and funny stuff into it and into into these really dark situations was so fun. And um I, I, I agree. I think the, the best compliment you can get is, you know, that people found it funny as well. Because it's much harder to do funny than it is to do darkness. It oh, just yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, to, to do genuinely funny and to do bits that make people really smile and laugh when they're reading a book is, is really hard. So, it's so, so subjective as well, isn't it? That- Yes. The humour side of things because yes. you know you might write something that you think that's hilarious and then your agent and your editor go oh I'm not really get it and then vice versa yeah. and the readers are the same but actually you know with both of your books I absolutely loved them I, I was smiling the whole way you're right uh, smiling <laughs> along laughing out loud you know um, so uh, definitely accomplished it Eva <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> 
Um, I always like to ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying recently, uh, because as well as being writers, we're also huge readers, aren't we? And we have a lot of author mates, uh, and we also get sent books, which is a huge privilege. Sometimes that we've never heard of the author, we've never read in the genre, and we read them and we go, bloody hell, that was good. Um, have you found time to read recently, Porner? Obviously, you've been up against a deadline, so maybe not as much as <laughs> you usually like to, but anything you've read and enjoyed recently? Yeah, I've got two, actually. Um, I mean, I always read before I go to sleep. Otherwise, you know, um, I mean, it's my favorite thing to do. Mm. So there one really lovely thing that I've noticed uh, definitely in the last uh, year has been the emergence of um, South Asian female authors moving into the commercial fiction space. Um, because usually it tends to be quite a literary space that those books get published in. But mm. one is Dirty Laundry by Disha Bose. Um, it comes out at the beginning of March. And um, it's it's a little bit crime fiction, but it's not crime fiction. And it's it's this perfect capture of um, of sort of a group of like mothers and, you know, they're, they're sort of by extension, their partners um and and sort of one of them turns up dead it's and it's but it's done in such a it's not heavy read it's done in such a beautiful way and she's a debut author so i just can't believe it's a debut right. and the other one is an author named priya guns who has um who's written a book called your taxi is waiting and her voice is just so fresh and it's like an anti-hero of like taxi you know kind of modern day interpretation of taxi driver um and i'm halfway through that and i would really recommend that that's out at the end of the month Oh, fantastic. Okay, uh, so that's Dirty Laundry and your taxi is waiting. Fabulous. Yeah. Thank you for those. And what about you, Eva? Have you got uh, some recommendations for us? Um, yeah, I have. I mean, I don't know about you, Porno. I find it quite hard to read fiction when I'm writing fiction because I get too swayed by... I mean, if I'm reading classics, like, you know, if I sort of picked up a D.H. Lawrence, I'm suddenly trying to go into that style <laughs> and then thinking, no, there's a, oh, reason, yeah. why that. There's a reason why you don't do it. <laughs> Um, stop put it down um or or even you know something like secret diary of adrian mole which is which is a work of total genius i i kind of might read that and then think oh i'll never do anything as good as this so it can be quite dramatic <laughs> reading fiction when you're writing fiction but um i've i've really got back into it in the last few months and i've read a couple of books that i've been meaning to read for a while and one of them is um, it, it, which it wouldn't be necessarily the sort of thing I would normally read, but it's absolutely brilliant. It's by um, T.L. Mogford. He's written before under the name of Thomas Mogford, and he normally does more crime stuff, which isn't necessarily what I'd read. But this is called The Plant Hunter. And it's um, it's set in it's a Victorian kind of almost I would describe it as a well, it's kind of an adventure story, which um, which takes the the character all over the world looking for looking for um plants um he is working in london selling plants and he has to go off and find find new species and it turns into a kind of romance and it's a bit crime and it's a bit mm. um adventure and it's just one of those ones i started it and i just couldn't put it down which was a real thrill because when you get those type of books and all you can think about is i want to get back to this is just the best thing yeah. ever as we know um i've read a couple of classics recently that i hadn't read for a while like Excellent Women by Barbara Pym, which is just a absolute slam dunk of a brilliant that in terms of in terms of hitting humour on the head in a way that is just mind blowing and also unbelievably strong um, female characters in the guise of not really being strong female characters, which is very, <laughs> very interesting. I love that. Um, and then uh, Georgina Moore, who I actually noticed a friend of mine who's just uh, got a book, a book out called The Garnet Girls, which is flying off the shelves um with good reason because it's just a brilliant family saga mm. great great women in that book and she's just brilliant she's wonderful she's uh, on this series of book off actually on a previous oh, episode yeah there you Very go good. talking about the garnet girls yes. and the plant hunter also you said wasn't it that was yes cool. yeah fabulous god they sound great there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Right. Thank you both for those recommendations. And now it's time for another, because it's time for the book off, where each of you gets three minutes uninterrupted, if you want to use all three, to tell us about a book you love that you think we should all read. It can be anything you want. It doesn't have to be a new book. It can be non-fiction. It can be fiction. It can be a classic. It can be poetry. It can be a children's book. It can be anything you like. Uh, it just has to be something you love and you want to put in everyone's hands. And before we get to them, to the pitches, uh, we've got to do a little bit of admin. Um, we always say the person who's travelled the furthest gets to choose if they go first or second. So we need to do this uh, geographically here over the uh, airwaves. So whereabouts are you, Eva, roughly? Well, I'm in Maidenhead, mate. <laughs> yeah, you're going to win, I think. Porna, where are you? Um, possibly southwest London. You're possibly, <laughs> sa- possibly not. You're, yeah, you haven't travelled as far. Cause I'm John O'Groats. So technically, oh, that's, yeah, that's a difficult. Well, yeah, I think. Mm, no, I think t- technically, me. either you you're gonna you're gonna yeah. change that. Okay. So you get to choose. Do you want to go up first, or do you want to see what porn has got f- and, and and go second? Oh well, <laughs> she's go looking first. terrified now. Come by on, that. I'll do it, corner. <laughs> okay, Eva, you're gonna go first. And as I said, you've got three minutes. It's uninterrupted. If you're still talking. When the three-minute mark hits, we're either going to be honking you out with the bicycle horn or we're going to be ringing you out with the school bell. Now, which one would you like, Paula? Um, oh, it's got to be the school bell, surely. Yeah, the bicycle horn is traumatic. No, no. Oh, sorry, did I, did I, I, just, I just took the bell without even offering Yeah, you've no, already yes. chosen your one, Eva. You get, you've already chosen first or second. The bell. The bell. Please, the bell. You want the bell, do you? Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that means the horn is... Uh, for you, Eva. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll take I'll do it. <laughs> um, I'm going to put three minutes on the clock, and just before we start it, tell us the book that you're putting forward, please. I am going to put forward The Buddha of Suburbia by Hanif Qureshi. Fantastic. All right, three minutes on the clock then to tell us about The Buddha of Suburbia. Over to you. Right. Um, this is... Buddha of Suburbia is one of those books that... I recommend to absolutely everyone who hasn't read it. And I sort of assume that most people will have read it. But um, now uh, a new generation of teens is entering my life because my kids are the sort of age that I was when I read it for the first time. And so I gave this to my daughter recently with a little bit of trepidation because, you know, it's it's quite a punchy novel in terms of... Um, it's quite graphic and um, it's quite sexy and uh, all the things that you sort of think, should I be recommending this... To my daughter at this point in history but the answer is yes I completely should because it is a work of stone cold genius and um when I was I first read it when I was about 15 16 and I was given it by um a guy probably in his early 20s um which looking back on it maybe seems a bit weird but no I just say thank you so much for giving me that book <laughs> because um from the moment I started it I was I was in awe of his style. It's one of the most stylish novels I think ever written because it's so it's the confidence of the style of this book. And because his narrator is very young and um, his narrator is confused in every way possible, um, getting that confidence in the, in the style of writing is just so brilliant. Um, and uh, his the hero is Karim, who is, I, I guess, a sort of dreamy student um living with his parents in London. He he doesn't quite know what he's going to do with his life next. All he knows is that his parents are going through a crisis. His dad's run off with a woman who is called Eva. So that was always interesting to me. Um, and he is uh, he's kind of finding his way and ends up 
um, joining a theatre company and trying to become an actor at the same time as Eva's son um, is emerging as a kind of, um, I guess, as a sort of almost like I imagined him being a kind of lead singer of a band like the Sex Pistols. Um, he has a massive crush on Charlie, um, Eva's son. He doesn't quite know what to do with that. Um, so there's a lot of confusion going on about his sexuality. Um, but the pace of the book is amazing. It is laugh out loud funny. And it's also very, very um, melancholy. So it does it does that brilliant combination of these two things, which I think is is really, really hard to do. But he just manages it brilliantly. And um, it's always, it's been one of those books that's kind of always inspired me with absolutely everything I do, even though it feels as though he was writing about um, a part of society that, you know, I didn't grow up in the same way as him. I didn't have the same background as him, but I identified with it maybe because I was at boarding school. So, so I was kind of, I felt like I was, uh, I was wanting to experience stuff that felt completely outside my, my world. And um it just, to me, was it was one of those books where I felt like I knew every character. I loved every character. Oh, I'm out. I could have gone on for another three minutes about this. Anyway. I could tell you, I, I mean, wow, what a pitch. And I could tell you you had so much more to say there, Eva. But you've got a lot in. You've got a lot in. Well done. Have a breather now. Take like a break. It's like isn't it? You kind of feel it is like a bit, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't think the format. Um, <laughs> just have a breather and we'll come back and talk about this fabulous sounding book in a few moments. Uh, but I'm putting three minutes back on the clock for you, Porner. And before we start it, what book are you putting forward, please? Um, the book I'm putting forward is Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto. Fantastic. All right, three minutes on the clock. Then over to you to tell us about Kitchen. <laughs> so this is a book that I, I recommend to everyone, even though it's it's a tough one because, you know, Buddha of Suburbia, for example, even such a stupendously wonderful book. I mean, and there are so many others that I kind of read around this time, you know, like Murakami and, and so on. But this is the book that I always come back to. Um, it's essentially two two short stories. But to be honest, the, the book is predominantly kitchen. And, and the second story, which is called Moonlight Shadow, is is fine. But I don't think it really compares in terms of the quality of story. In Kitchen, what you have is um, the, the female protagonist is a lady um, named Mikagi who is really young and her grandmother passes away and that is basically the last remaining family member that she has in the entire world. And she ends up, um, you know, having sort of a chance encounter with a, a guy that she also goes to school with who her grandmother was very fond of and they strike up a friendship and eventually um, he takes her in to his home and to live with him and his mother. And it's about um, how she sort of pieces her life together while feeling really comfortable and secure and safe in, in someone's home. I'm kind of just starting off with the with the sort of the, the general story of it. And also what I didn't realize when I read this book so many years ago is that um, Yuichi, who is the young man who takes her in, um, his mother is trans. And, um, and I'm not going to give you sort of any spoilers as to what happens at the end. But basically, the reason why I love this book is because it speaks so much to pathos to the ideas of safety and actually simplicity of what you really need as a person but it also deals with really heavy topics potentially heavy topics and actually Eva this kind of reminds me of your book in terms of it deals with heavy topics in a way that doesn't feel heavy so you won't read this book and feel you know weighed down by the end of it you just feel really privileged to have a glimpse into someone else's life and to see things through their eyes and how they move through that uh, in a way that doesn't always have to be so underpinned by, you know, catharsis and pain, even though that's obviously very clearly there. The reason why I love this book is because I think that as a, as an author and as someone who consumes literature, I think it can sometimes be very easy to get caught up with how clever something should be and how many big words you can kind of sandwich in something. And for me, this is like an art piece because it is some of the most simplistic writing that I have read, but it conveys things that are so complicated and are so beautiful in a way that I think is so hard to do. It's the thing that you're saying about, you know, for example, with comedy, getting that balance right is so much trickier then um, if you were to go, thank you. Okay, that is me. <laughs> 
It's a beautiful book. I would recommend it to oh, everyone. Sounds it as well. I knew you had yeah. another three minutes as well, Paul, and I could tell. Um, <laughs> brilliant. I love it when that happens though. I think because I think if you've if you're still talking when, you know, we honk or bail you out, it's like because the the book is worthy, isn't it? Um have a rest, porn, have a sip of tea. Um we'll come back and talk about that fascinating sounding book. I want to come back to the Buddha of Suburbia though. Um I love either that you rec this is the book you sort of recommend to everyone, but sort of assume that they've all read it. Um I, I know I have that feeling as well with books sometimes where I go, but I know uh, I prop well, I'd recommend this, but you've you'll have read it, you know, and then people go, Oh no, I haven't heard of that and you go, What? <laughs> I haven't read it. Oh, you're telling me you haven't read it? No. Oh my god. Oh Joe, this is too exciting. Porter <laughs> <laughs> can't believe it. Whoa. She's like, What? <laughs> Everyone's like, What? Everyone's I haven't read it. <laughs> so I'm sat there listening to you talk about this book, rave about this book, thinking, oh my god, why haven't I read it? It sounds unbelievable. But you would particularly um, like it because it because it is set in the nineties, or it's written in the nineties, so but it's nineteen ninety again, so it's pre all that other stuff. And it's really now kind of a period piece in many ways, if you mm. read it again. But it's still so fresh. Yeah. It's so fresh. So I would just say read and enjoy. I love, love the sound of it. I love how you said that that it's so stylish, but it's the, it's sort of the confidence of the style that, yes. that makes it so. Um, that it's, you know, this it's punchy, it's sexy, it's a work of stone-cold genius, to quote yourself. Um, it is. And the, it's funny as well. I mean, it's it's. I'm going through thinking, God, this just this sounds like it's got everything. So yeah, I absolutely. It's re love it really that. has. It's also got the, my favourite final few sentences of any book ever. Um, so I would say it's worth reading just to get to that end <laughs> bit. It's just so good, um, and it's also so London, which is. I love books. Obviously, I love books. You know, they're set in London, but there's something about this one mm. that you really feel. Mm. It's so filmic. I mean, it was it was made into a. Was it a TV series where David Bowie did the um, soundtrack? I mean, it, you know, couldn't be any cooler in that respect. But it's, it's, it's incredibly British and London, and in, in this way that you kind of, this way that you sort of want to say to everyone, listen, you think you know your version of London? Read this. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's just great. It sounds it. So thank you for that because it was a great <laughs> pitch as well. I absolutely love the sound <laughs> of it, and I love the sound of kitchen as well, Borna. So it's. It's two. You said it's two short stories, but it's really mainly kitchen. And are we talking like what novella or even shorter than that? Um, I would say novella because it okay. basically takes. It's you know if you look at it, it's a normal size. Well, I'm making like it's a thin book, mm. but um, it takes up about three quarters of the whole book. So, so it's like to, a novella. yeah, so it's like a novella. Um, yeah, I just I, I it sounds fabulous. I love the 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 sort of end point of it that you made in your pitch about we can sometimes get caught up with the clever and it's something i've actually been thinking about for for a number of years now about yeah and we always say oh, how clever is it the intricacies the twists oh i didn't see it coming the everything it's like just reading something that's so simplistic but be but beautiful as you said it's the sim simplicity of the writing but it's beautiful and we yeah. need that a bit yeah. i think uh i think so i mean i definitely say I, d I don't know what you both think about this but i think that with a lot of modern fiction um, particularly modern fiction that's that's written in a way that's that's when I say easy to read I mean you know you want to read it and you can get through it and it doesn't feel like it's something that is a is a grind yeah um and it does feel like we're kind of in a weird time where you know in the same way like I think with movies you know everything has to have like a massive twist to it or it needs to be a superhero film yeah. i feel like with certain elements of modern fiction everything has to have a twist or it's very crime fiction focused because you know how do you otherwise keep someone's attention and i think that for me this book it does that you know it's a very it's a very beautiful very soft very slow paced book but mm -hmm. at no point do you think jesus christ will something happen because this is so boring you know and and I think for me, I, I actually came across this book because I went down a Haruki Murakami wormhole where I basically started reading his stuff and then um, ran out of his books. But I was really fascinated with, um, you know, modern fiction set in Japan anyway. And, and yeah. you know, this book is set in Tokyo. And um, it was one of those things where it's the, it's the way that she describes things. It's the way she talks about food, you know, um, the the kind of the textures that kind of come through for me, I just think it is such a it's such a gorgeous book for doing that. Can I ask, have you read um, a book called The Memory Police by Yoko no. Ogawa? No, I haven't. Well, when you were talking about 
kitchen and about the sort of writing style and I guess how it sort of makes you feel and how it's very simplistic it is simplistic but it's so much more it's telling you so much more than that I felt the same about this book called called the memory police which I as I recall was was shortlisted I think for the international booker um certainly longlisted and I read it in and felt like I was in a sort of hypnotic state you know and she's not going into much detail really and yet I felt like I was just sort of drifting along in the book and then hearing you talk about this one I was like oh that sounds like it would be a sort of similar experience reading experience yeah I I mean I think so I think that there is it's the, the visual equivalent I would say is kind of when you're you know let's say by the sea and you sort of see you're looking out onto the water and you can kind of see this interplay of light and water mm. and air and it creates something it creates a feeling like we all know what that feeling is but it's at the same time it's so huge it's so enormous it's the most simply simplest like coming together of elements but it's also something completely intangible and that's what i would say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the the sort of the book version of that is this wow <laughs> I love I love the sound of it. Absolutely love the sound of it. In fact, both of these. I mean, I can't believe I haven't read the Buddha of Suburbia. Uh, <laughs> and I feel really bad about it. Um, I must go and read Kitchen now as well because it, it just sounds amazing. I also love short. I know it's not. It's a short story slash novella. I love short stories. I love just something you can sort of get into and enjoy pre bed porno. You know, like I like. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like like doing a few chapters rather it's a complete story and i love having those and discovering new writers as well um gosh it's a tough one isn't it i mean blimey you've both done such good <laughs> bloody pictures i'm gonna i'm gonna take the buddha of suburbia though i think i have to take that because i feel like now i i, I can't be one of the people the only people that's not read it um, so I must take that and then I'm going to follow it up very swiftly with Kitchen. I'm definitely going to read Kitchen as well. <laughs> it sounds great, doesn't it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reread The Buddha of Suburbia. I haven't read it since my uni days and it's such a good book. So you read it a long time ago, did you? Yeah. It's, it's really great to reread. And have you read more by Banana Yoshimoto? Um, yes, I have read... I, after I... Kitchen was the first book that I've read of hers and I basically bought, uh, again, you know, obsessively everything that she'd done. <laughs> and where she is definitely a short st story writer. I would say mm -hmm. that's where her skill set, you know, excels. She did one book that was like a full book and... I don't know. I don't know about it, but um, <laughs> but I have, I have read most of what she's written and it is very much in that, you know, very similar style, I would say. Okay. Great. Well, this book sounds amazing. So I must, must get it. And thank you both for those brilliant pictures. I really love them. And your recommendations throughout the podcast. And here's two more recommendations for those of you listening. In Case of Emergency by Porna Bell, which is out now. It's published by Penguin. And this could be everything by Eva Rice. Also out now, published by Simon and Schuster. And what an absolute pleasure to sit and talk books with you. We could just go on for hours. We could go off on a tangent this way about more Japanese writing. We could talk about bands in the 90s over here. We're just going to have to meet up in real life life aren't we at some point at some literary yes, festival over the summer and do that yeah um <laughs> thank you both so much for being here it's been a real pleasure thank, thank you. you so much Joe. thank you When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.